0: Can't sleep? Don't want to sleep? Afraid to sleep? Are the windows closed? Are your doors locked? Did you check your closet? And under your bed? Maybe you should keep a light on in the hallway, just in case. Now settle in. Make yourself comfortable. Play back, close your eyes, and let me tell you a story. Everyone knows what a joker is in a deck of cards. Originally, there was only one used in the game, Euchre. Later, the second joker was added and employed as a wild card in poker. But did you know there's a third joker found in French decks and used in the game German Rummy? Like in poker, it can stand in for any other card. Imagine if you had that power, to be a human wild card, whose place would you take? The Blue Joker Most people think there are 52 cards in a deck. Clever people know it has 54. 13 of each of four suits plus two Jokers. German Rummy players will be adamant that there are 55 cards in a deck that there are three jokers. A red one, a black one, and the blue joker. My grandfather introduced me to German Rummy, or Rome, as he called it in his thick Bavarian accent. He had an old set of French playing cards, and the game required combining two decks into an unwieldy stack of 110 cards. I was 10 when he taught me to play. It was difficult for me to shuffle such a large combined deck and my small hands could barely fan out the 13 cards each player was dealt to start with. I lost every game and loved every minute of it. Playing cards with my grandfather was time I treasured. He was as ancient to me as the faded playing cards that his arthritic fingers fanned and manipulated like a concert pianist. In the game, jokers are wild. When you play a joker in a set or a run, Another player can steal that joker if they have the actual card the joker is standing in for and play it on their turn. Whenever my grandfather played the blue joker or stole it from one of my sets, he would pause to cross himself and utter an inaudible prayer in German. I asked him why he did that. The blue joker, Teuflisch, he replied, evil. He died when I was 19. I was away at college. It had been years since we had played cards. After the funeral, I searched his belongings for the pair of French decks he had treasured, but they were nowhere to be found. My mother confessed to throwing them away. They were old, she said. You can get a brand new deck for $2 at the dime store. She died three years later, and I didn't shed a tear. Five years after that, I was browsing the piles of dollar items on a dusty table at a garage sale. Under an old baseball mitt, I found a deck of cards that appeared even older than the ones my grandfather had owned. Held together by an old, thick rubber band, I carefully set them free, then counted them. Fifty-five. I sifted through the numbers and face cards until I found what I was looking for. The blue joker. I crossed myself. In nomine Patris et Filii. Et spiritus sancti, Amen. It wasn't the Joker of my grandfather's Polish maid deck. His portrayed the wild card as a female jester, lifting her skirt to show off a slip fashioned from red-suited playing cards. This one was more of a traditional jester, with a mischievous grin as he posed, balanced on one foot, his hands in the air above his head. All of the cards were beautifully rendered from the ornate aces to the regal gray-bearded kings. They looked like they were hand-inked, each a unique work of art. I searched the table for a second deck, hoping I would find a set of the antique cards. Can I help you find something? An old woman asked. She had the air and wardrobe of someone who had long ago given up on caring what people thought about how she looked. Yes, do you have another deck like this? I asked, holding up my prize. I believe I do, she answered. She shuffled over to the table and rearranged the eclectic collection of odds and ends until she came across what looked like a jewelry box. On its cover was a very faded version of the Blue Joker. She lifted the box with bony fingers and held it toward me as she lifted the lid. Inside was another deck like the one I held in my hands nestled in one of two playing card-sized indentations in its felt lining. You play Der Romi mit Auslegen? Yes, I told her. My grandfather taught me. I placed the deck I held into its spot in the case, and she snapped the lid shut and handed it to me. That will be three dollars, one for each deck and one for the case. I fished the bills out of my wallet, handed them over, and hurried home. I cleared off and cleaned my dining room table, then carefully opened the wooden felt-lined case that held my treasure. I laid each card out in a large grid, carefully sorted by rank and suit, setting the jokers in a line at the bottom. To my shock and dismay, one of the blue jokers was missing. I'd never be able to use these decks for a true game of German Rummy, but then again, I'm not sure I wanted to. They had a certain fragility about them. I wondered just how old they were. I took a photo of the single blue joker, the only card in the combined decks that didn't have a partner, and used the search by image feature on my phone to see if there was any information about it. The search results came up with dozens of somewhat similar images, similar in that they portrayed traditional playing card jokers, prancing clowns, and of course the various incarnations of Batman's archenemy but nowhere could I find anything that looked like the deck I had. I examined the cards for any indication of who had printed them, a publisher's name, a date. Usually that information was included on one of the aces or jokers, but this collection of jacks, queens, kings, and other ranks was devoid of any manufacturer's mark or any type of copyright claim. Next, I searched the internet for playing card collectors, Hoping someone in that community would have a list of resources that might help me identify the origin of my cards. On the second page of search results, I found a listing for a card shop that, in addition to baseball and other sports cards, Pokemon and Magic the Gathering sets, indicated they had the largest collection of rare and antique playing cards in the Midwest. The address was local, not more than 10 miles away. I grabbed a small plastic bag and dropped my sole blue joker into it, zipped it up, and slipped it into a small envelope I had. It was early afternoon, so I took a chance that the shop would still be open. Carefully, I slid the envelope into the inside pocket of my jacket and headed out. The card collector's store, its name was Wildcard coincidentally, was a narrow storefront nestled between a comic book shop and a nail salon. Inside, there were shelves upon shelves of cardboard boxes containing endless rows of cards of all types. There had to be millions of them. Can I help you? A voice asked from somewhere in the store. I looked around. After a moment, a small man, hunched over with age, wearing coke bottle glasses and a tattered vest over a shirt that long ago was once white, appeared. Hello, I said. I understand you have old playing cards. He nodded slowly. Was there something in particular you're looking for? I carefully pulled the envelope out of my pocket and removed the card in its plastic bag, offering it to the proprietor. I was hoping you might have something like this, or at least be able to tell me about it. The man picked up the bag by one corner and held it up in front of the thick lenses of his glasses. Then he turned around and shuffled off toward the back of the shop. I followed him through the maze of shelves until we arrived at a counter. He laid the card atop a blotter, then pulled out a hard plastic case and donned a pair of rubber gloves. Like a surgeon, he carefully removed the card from the bag and transplanted it into the plastic case, snapping it shut. Once that task was done, he glared at me with his magnified eyes. Where did you get this? he asked. Garage sale, I told him. Is it valuable? Valuable? That depends. Do you have the whole deck? All fifty five cards? Two decks, I told him, but one of them is missing the blue joker. What a shame, he muttered as he inspected the card inside its protective housing from every conceivable angle. I saw a deck of cards similar to this in Belgium once. You can see that it wasn't printed. This was hand drawn. Beautiful. He set it down. I can offer you ten thousand. Ten thousand dollars for a deck of cards? I asked, incredulous. Ten thousand dollars for this card, he replied. I suspect the face cards would be worth a similar amount, and the number cards might be worth up to five thousand each if they are in as good a condition as this one. I mentally calculated the value of the cards I had so carelessly left lying on my dining room table. Nearly a million dollars. I'm not looking to sell them. I was hoping to acquire another one of the Blue Jokers. Impossible. I doubt it exists. This is a -a one-of-a-kind deck of cards. It likely was commissioned by someone very wealthy or very powerful. Perhaps royalty. I'd have to do a lot of research to find out its exact provenance. My mind reeled at the information the card collector was so casually sharing with me. He could have offered me a hundred dollars for each card, and I likely would have considered parting with at least one of the decks. But now, knowing their true worth, I didn't want to let them go. I'll think about it, I told him, as I picked up the card in its plastic case. That'll be two dollars for the case if you want to keep it, he said. I nodded and fished out a couple of bills from my wallet. Plus tax, he added. I pulled out another bill and handed it over. Keep the change, I told him as I turned and walked out of the store, carefully sliding the card back into my pocket. I didn't immediately go home. This neighborhood wasn't unfamiliar to me. It was where my ex-girlfriend lived. And just being here brought up memories I wasn't eager to resurrect. Broken hearts never are. It had taken me a long time to get over her, and I wasn't completely sure that I was yet there were also reminders of happier days. I spent some time just wandering around, a part of me wishing I would run into Sheila, hopefully unaccompanied by the man she left me for. I walked by a restaurant she had always begged me to go to. The entrees started at $100. Their specialty was a gold leaf crusted steak. I wondered if they accepted rare playing cards as payment. Dave, what are you doing? Come on, we have a reservation, a strange man said to me. I'm not, I started to say, but then caught a glimpse of my reflection in the large window. It wasn't me. I was looking at a young businessman, dressed in a tailored suit, his hair slicked back. I waved. He waved. What the hell are you doing, Dave? The man said. Come on. I gave the interloper occupying my reflection one last look. Then followed the stranger and two other sharply dressed Wall Street types into the restaurant. The maitre d' escorted us to a table. I thought you couldn't make it, the stranger said. I shrugged. Playing hooky, huh? I nodded. Gotta hit the head, I said, fearful that my voice would betray me. But along with not looking like myself, I no longer sounded like myself. The other guys looked at me quizzically, then burst out laughing hit the head? Where are you, a longshoreman? I smiled, then got up and headed for where I hoped the men's room was. I walked inside and headed straight for the sink. The same face that I saw in the restaurant window looked back at me now. What was going on? Why did these guys think I was their friend? And why did I look this way? I ran the water in the sink and splashed some on my face, thinking I was hallucinating. From what, though? some exotic mold in that card shop. I rubbed, poked, and prodded the unfamiliar features of my face. As far as I could tell, it was real. I reached inside my jacket, relieved to find that the blue joker was still there, safely ensconced in its plastic shell. I stared at the card, and the grinning jester smirking at me. The wild card. Could that be it? Had the blue joker allowed me to substitute myself for someone else? Like how you could use it in German rummy? The idea seemed preposterous. But what other explanation was there? My own insanity? I slipped the blue joker back into my pocket and ran my fingers through my heavily gelled hair. It wasn't an illusion. I was physically someone else. Someone named Dave. I reached into my pocket and pulled out my wallet, only it wasn't my wallet. It was a sleek gray snakeskin billfold. Inside were about a dozen $100 bills, a gold card, a black card, and several business cards. Dave Davidson, Vice President of Social Strategies. The other inside pocket of my suit jacket held a phone. It unlocked when I looked at the screen. I opened the calendar app and saw two overlapping appointments for today at five o'clock. Dinner with Jack, Max, and Lyle, and an entry simply marked Meeting. That's obviously where the real Dave Davidson was. With the Blue Joker, I was able to become a living wildcard, substituting myself for him. I'm not one to believe in magic, but there it was, staring me in the face, I washed my hands and returned to the table, where my dinner companions were finishing a first round of drinks. What happened? Did you fall in? One of them asked. The others laughed riotously. The waiter arrived and took our orders. I had the gold-crusted steak and paid for it with Dave Davidson's black card. Afterwards, they invited me to join them at a bar, but I made an excuse and headed home. When I got there, I looked in the mirror and saw my own face. I was relieved that the effects of the Blue Joker were temporary. After carefully returning the rest of my cards to their felt-lined box, I set the Blue Joker on the dining room table and pondered the possibilities. How could I use this to my advantage? Several schemes came to mind. I could impersonate a billionaire and transfer an enormous sum of money into my name. I could use the card's abilities for some sort of magic act. Headlining in Vegas, I could take on the appearance of the man Sheila had left me for and have the opportunity to be with her again. Wealth and fame could wait. Once the possibility of embracing Sheila, of feeling her lips pressed against my own took hold, I became single-minded in my purpose. I secured the Blue Joker in a locked drawer of my desk and started combing through her social media and that of her new boyfriend learning all I could about her life since she broke up with me. The next morning, I stood across the street from her apartment building, watching and waiting, the blue joker tucked safely in my pocket. Her boyfriend, Friedrich, exited, walking briskly toward the nearest subway station. Once he was gone and I was certain he wouldn't be returning, I crossed the street and stood in front of her building. You needed a key to get in, a key I no longer had. But obviously Friedrich did. I wondered if when I took on his persona, I would also acquire his key to Sheila's apartment, like I had Dave Davidson's wallet and phone. But how was I supposed to initiate the substitution? What had I done at the restaurant to trigger my newfound human wildcard ability? I reached into my pocket and pulled out a set of keys attached to a blue rabbit's foot keychain I'd never seen before. The distinctive key which opened the front door to Sheila's building was hanging from the ring, along with a few others. I put it into the lock and let myself in. There was a mirror in the small lobby, opposite the wall where the mailboxes were. I was now Friedrich. When I smiled, the face looking at me in the mirror smiled back. "'I decided to stay home today,' I said, getting used to my new voice. "'Did Friedrich have an accent?' Would the blue joker account for that? What did I have to lose? I climbed the stairs to the third floor. Should I just walk in? I knocked. Who's there? Sheila asked. Ivan, I said, disguising my voice. Ivan who? I want to come in. I forgot my phone charger, I replied in Friedrich's normal voice. A second later, the door opened and Sheila stood there, the silk kimono I'd given her last Christmas, clutched tightly around her lithe body. I thought you had an important meeting to get to that you couldn't get out of, she said accusingly. I cancelled it, I told her. I had an urge to spend the day with you. Oh, really? Sheila asked, letting loose the grip on her robe, allowing it to fall open, giving me a teasing glimpse of what was underneath. In bed, I added. She grabbed my shirt and pulled me inside, closing the door behind us. She kissed me. I wrapped her up in my arms. Feelings I had suppressed for so long came flooding back. I lifted her off her feet and carried her to the bedroom, where we made love for what seemed like hours. Once our passion was spent, she cuddled up against me. Do you want to hear something silly? she asked. What's that? I had the crazy idea that you were rushing off to see another woman, she confessed. That is crazy, I told her. So, I thought to myself, all's not well in paradise. Perhaps I could use that to my advantage. Maybe steer her back into my own arms. There's no one I would rather be with than you, I promised. Sheila tilted her head up and kissed me. We spent the morning together. I unleashed months of pent-up passion, which she received with unfettered desire. But then I remembered it was Friedrich who would get the credit for my amorous attention. I got up out of her bed and fished his phone out of the pocket of my pants, where they lay on the floor, and pretended to scan my emails. "'Gotta go, babe,' I said abruptly. "'You do? I thought you were taking the whole day off,' Sheila said, pouting. "'Sorry,' I replied as I hurriedly got dressed. I decided not to explain myself. Perhaps that would reignite her fears that Friedrich was cheating on her. I gave her a perfunctory kiss and told her, see you later, with a tepid smile. I could hear her sigh with disappointment as I left. When I got home, I returned my own self again. I wondered how Friedrich would explain himself, how Sheila would take his denial of spending the morning with her. Perhaps he would accuse her of cheating. All I would have to do was wait for her social media status to change back to single and then swoop in. The compassionate ex who would be there for her in her time of need. But my patience wore thin after a few days. I decided to pay her another visit, perhaps stir the pot a bit. I took the blue joker out of the small safe I had purchased to keep it in and stuffed it into my inside jacket pocket. Then I drove to Sheila's apartment, took on Friedrich's identity and let myself into the building. I knocked on her door. Who is it? She asked. Ken, I replied. Ken who? Can you open the door? I want to see you, I said. A moment later, Sheila appeared, a curious look on her face. What do you want? I missed you, I told her. You've only been gone for a few hours. That's all it took, I told her. I swept her into my arms and kissed her but she didn't respond. Didn't throw her arms around my neck or kiss me back. I stepped away. Sheila wiped at her mouth with the back of her hand. I thought you'd be with her. This was perfect. They were fighting. All I would have to do was push her over the edge. Get her to throw him out for good. "What are you talking about?" I asked, pretending to be puzzled. "You don't have to lie anymore." I know you've been seeing someone else." -"That's crazy," I told her. -"There's no one but you." -"You're a liar." I knew she hated when people lied to her. This was almost too easy. -"Sheila, sweetie," I said, knowing full well that she despised that pet name. -"I don't know what you're talking about." -"No?" she asked accusingly. -"Show me your phone." -"My phone? Why?" -"If you have nothing to hide." You won't have any problem letting me look at your DMs and text messages. I pulled Friedrich's phone from my pocket and looked at it. It unlocked. Sheila held out her hand. Are you sure you want to do this? If you break our trust, there's no turning back. I should have never trusted you, Sheila said, snatching the phone out of my hands. She started tapping and swiping at the screen. After a moment, she triumphantly showed me a conversation Friedrich was having with a woman named Naomi, who apparently was not shy about sharing extremely explicit photos of herself via text. I can explain, I said, hoping my continued lying would infuriate her even more, causing her to demand her key back. Her response exceeded my expectations. She threw Friedrich's phone against the wall, cracking the screen. Sheila, sweetie, surely we can talk this over. She crossed to an end table and opened a drawer. When she turned around, there was a gun in her hand. Sheila, there's no need for. Before I could finish my plea, a shot rang out. I felt the bullet punch into my chest. I looked down at the spreading stain of blood and reached into my pocket to find that the bullet had pierced the blue joker on its way to my heart. Kevin? Sheila asked. A note of concern in her voice. What have I done? Why did she use my real name? I could see in a mirror across the room that I had reverted to my own likeness. I collapsed to my knees. Sheila, I said weakly. Not your fault. I looked at the blue joker. The jester's expression appeared to have changed. His mischievous grin was now an outright laugh. My grip on the card failed, and it clattered to the ground, followed by my lifeless body. Thank you for listening to The Blue Joker, written especially for the Bedtime Stories for Insomniac's fiction podcast by Rich Hosek. Please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast app, rate us on Apple, Spotify, and Audible and share these stories, as well as the unabridged audiobook versions of my novels, with anyone you know who enjoys audio fiction. Be sure to visit BedtimeStories.studio, where you can sign up for our Insomniacs Snooze letter, to be notified of new episodes and exclusive offers, and get a free bookmark. You can visit richhosick.com to learn more about the host of Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs. Thanks again, and all the very best.